that's his thing. Like Russell Garden from Free Press was saying how he was shocked by how many uh, people were over there too. And I said, he said, do people not have good taste? And I was like, no, dude, we're just like two years ahead of society because we get records so early, and you know what I mean. You get bored with stuff easy and. Usually, if you're a journalist, you're usually somebody that doesn't like to be told what to do. So, if the whole world is saying you have to hear this record, you're like, "Well, this band's terrible," you know. I mean, it could be worse. It could be that new, uh, really terrible Jack White album. Are you gonna review it? No, I've got a thing coming out about how out of touch with reality he is. Maybe this is White's way of gearing up to take what feels a much-needed break from the music industry to create something amazing again. Maybe. Just maybe he's trying to distance himself from technology and further convince us that he's a legitimate blues artist and not just a poser with a decrepit home and a love for the past. Or maybe it's what it looks like, an artist who made a terrible record who lives in a glass house where hopefully boarding house reach isn't on repeat. You can catch Jack White on April 30th and May 1st at Revention Music Center. The all-ages shows both have phone restrictions and come with a copy of Boarding House Reach to make you hate the experience even more so. Doors both nights at 7 p.m. Tickets $79.50 to $135. Uh, my name is David Garrick. I uh, I write for Houston Press. Um, I'm a music writer there. Out of town artist interview on Monday. Something on Tuesday. Best of the week on Wednesday. Something Houston centric, whether it be a song debut, a video debut, or what have you, on Thursday. Uh, and then I own a consulting firm. Yeah, from Houston. I went to Jersey Village High School. Um, the first concert I went to was <laughs> the Hudson Brothers at the Rodeo. And then a week later, I saw Charlie Pride. So that's probably a better first concert experience. There weren't, I mean, music has changed so much. There weren't a lot of all-ages clubs. In fact, I don't remember any all-ages clubs, except for maybe the Abyss on Washington uh, Avenue and Fitzgerald's. Other than that, there wasn't really a lot. So if you wanted to go see, like I saw Spoon one time at Emo's when Houston had an Emo's. And I remember the only reason I got in is because we knew the door guy. My older brother was like a, a baseball rock star. Like, I mean, he, he was like the stud at our school and he was five years older than me. And when I came into that school, he was, he was, like, so great with, like, girls. Like, he could just... He was like David Lee Roth in 1976. He could just walk into a bar and pick out whoever he wanted. When you kind of have that over your head, I guess, to a degree, you know, you kind of want to carve your own path, and it's kind of hard. But I was kind of lost for a long time, so... I didn't want to go to college, and my mom made me go to college. I was going to just go to film school, and that was going to be it. Um, but then she convinced me if I went to college, she would pay for film school. But then I ended up not even going to film school afterwards. Um, she didn't want me to leave, so I got a couple acceptance letters, and she just kind of... This is really weird. Hid them from me, I guess. Some even asked me if I resent or for it, but I don't. I mean, I get it. And New York was as far as away as I could get from Houston, so that's why I went there. What, what were you studying at NYU? Uh, originally I was going to study cinematography and then I found out I'd be poor the rest of my life, so I just got a business degree. Um, and then, like, what was what was life like, like out of class, outside of class for you? Like, were you involved in the, the scene in New York at the time, or? So I don't really touch on this too much. I haven't 
I've been sober 15 years, but I I had a drinking problem, so I was not the best person to be around back then. And I don't know what caused it. I mean, I guess I could say it's genealogy, but it's, I mean, that's silly. It was on me. Um, I think it's probably being nervous around girls and things like that. So a lot of my living up there is a blur. I still went and saw tons of shows. I mean, I, and I, I, that's never changed. It was just I didn't have to grow up. You know, I was in my early 20s making a quarter of a million dollars a year. What did I need to stop drinking? I didn't have to stop doing anything, you know. I didn't see a problem with it. And I didn't realize I was out of control till it was too late. Like what you're, you're talking about like your, your career at the time like what were, what were you doing uh, I worked in radio I worked for I've, I've worked for the two biggest radio conglomerates in the world um, I was like a corporate guy so if I we used to jokingly say if I moved to your city everybody was gonna get fired if you're kind of like a big shot wherever you are you can get away with things and I got to get away with things for years I got to get away with showing up drunk I got to get away with getting drunk at lunch um, and I could have a car service take me, come and get me and take me home, and so I never had to worry about, you know, driving. And somewhere in that haze, yeah, I, I, this girl that went to high school with me that lived two doors down from me my whole life, I went on a date with her and she said, I'm gonna invite my friend, and her friend was- I thought, well, this is the funniest, quirkiest person I've ever met. I five foot tall. Oh, she's so much better than me. I'm just never. trying to figure out how to ask her for a phone number, and I didn't know. And then me and the girl, I, the girl that I knew my whole life, went back to my house. I said, I need to go upstairs and get something. I went upstairs, I opened the phone book, I found her name, I highlighted it, I ripped the page out, I stuck it in my dresser drawer. I came downstairs and told her I didn't feel good, and she brought me to go. And then I called Max's wife the next day, who was, I didn't know at the time, out of town. Actually, out of the country, she was in Canada. And I just called and called and called and called until she finally called me back and, yeah. At a certain point, I took a, without getting like too deep, I took a job in a different division of the company and it was in Houston and I'm from Houston, so I was like, well, I'll just move back. We moved back, we got married. Um, and then, yeah, about two years into the marriage, she told me, you have a drinking problem, you need to quit or I'm gonna leave. So I did, I quit. Um, and the whole time I just kept thinking, oh, I'll just do this till everybody gets off my back, you know? And, um, and actually, in reality, I tried to quit before, but we went to Italy on vacation and I got really smashed in like a restaurant. And so that it wasn't working. I needed like some outside help. Uh, I did AA and it worked. Um, but right after getting sober, I found out I was going to get transferred back to San Antonio, well, to San Antonio, which is where their corporate office was at the time. I don't know if it's still there, but, um, and it's like this whole whirlwind of things. I moved, we were going to, we were going to attempt to build a house and, uh, it was like all this stress and I'm still trying to stay sober. And then my contract gets broken on accident. They pay me out a giant sum of money. And she leaves all within like, all of this happened within six months. So it just was like really fast. And I mean, she had every right to leave. Like, uh, 
I think sometimes when somebody, when two people meet and they have like a substance in between each other, that person seems better than what they maybe are. And when that person quits that substance, whoever they are, when people usually quit a substance, they're jerks. And I, I, I was a jerk. Yeah, I was like, there I was in San Antonio with no job. I mean, I had money, but it was just like, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I kind of, the reason I came back was like really silly, but basically my parents needed somebody here in town and my older brother and I flipped a coin and I lost. So that's originally why I came back. And then when I got back, I you know made the best of it. But it was still at least another two years before I got, you know, back around music stuff. I helped somebody uh, record something and it never went anywhere. And then I, at one point try, I thought I was gonna start an agency and that just fell through. The free press thing kind of happened on accident. Someone mentioned that they were looking for a music writer or a writer and I applied. It took them forever to give me an answer. Um, it took like three or four months, but eventually I got it. What ha the whole music thing started because I wrote a, I wrote these pieces called Love Letters to Music where I told stories about going to see a band and something crazy happened. And the one that blew up was the one about Wesley Willis who, if you don't know, was six foot seven and he was schizophrenic and he put out something like 30 records in two years. I am not surprised by many things in this life, especially in the music world. In a marketplace that's full of one-hit wonders, hit makers, and game changers, it's easy to miss out on the obscure. So if you told me that you had no idea who Wesley Willis was, I wouldn't be very shocked. Wesley Willis was definitely obscure or an outsider artist, if you will. But for a brief time, he was what he, as he described himself, the daddy of rock and roll. The first time I heard Wesley Willis was at Chris Simpson's house at about 10.30 on a Yeah, what worked for my parents didn't work for me. I did everything they told me to do and it, none of it worked. Like I literally went to college, went to grad school, got a good job with a really reputable company had like a cute little wife, had a very nice place, had two cars, had a beach house, all that crap. None of that worked. And so I'd been doing the opposite for like the past, I guess, 15 years and it's worked out better. The first song, Rock and Roll McDonald's, had me erupting in a massive fit of laughter. I remember Dr. Pepper Slurpee spewing from my nose all over the place. This is not because I used to say that my life was like this song, Outsider by the Ramones, where I think the lyrics are something like, I'm an outsider, uh, and I don't know all the lyrics off the top of my head, but... I mean, it's you can't judge yourself on the rest of society unless you're doing something like harming animals or you have like fantasies of like killing everybody you meet, then yeah, maybe that's when you should judge yourself off society. But, I mean, you think about it for a second. Most of us nowadays probably do, if we're not married, you're doing a lot of things by yourself and you're focusing on... I, I remember telling this to somebody once... Pretty recently, I said, "What do you?" I said, "If once you do this, you have to, you have to make a decision. You have to say, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to do that best? Well, doing it best means putting as much energy into it as I can." Really? Do you ever do you ever have doubt about the way that you go about doing? Oh yeah, things? oh yeah, I have doubt all the time. Um, there's this thing that Valeria from Birthday Club said it. I was at Stephen from Birthday Club had a birthday thing at. Warren's and she said that she was reading something I wrote one time and she was like oh my god this guy really 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 cares and that that's true I mean at some point I'm sure I'm competing with myself but um oh yeah there's stuff all the time where I'm like oh nobody's gonna click on this this is gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna let me go 
Until you find out internal things that people tell you in passing, if you're a writer especially, you think, oh, well, I'm gonna lose my job tomorrow. A friend of mine from Chile, she was asking me, she said, you'll never smile in photos. I said, well, I've got a stupid smile. And she said, well, you seem so confident. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, because not everybody's gonna get into the inside where you're like doubting everything. I don't doubt everything I do, but there are things where like, uh, there's an, I have a review for the new Lace record and it comes out Thursday and I rewrote it something like 11 times because I love those guys and I love that album, but I didn't want to compare them to something and be wrong. And there's, I have doubts literally probably 10 times a week because I'm writing something and I want to make sure that I get whatever reference point correctly. I guess the question that I had though, just thinking about it and something that I've thought about with what you've talked about is like, do you ever feel like, or do you ever, do you ever doubt that instead of just like being a good thing for you to do because you like being alone, can like reinforce that instead? What do you mean? Like doing it, explain. I didn't think there just been times in my life where I've realized that where I thought I was doing something alone so much just because I liked being alone, but I, I realized it was like an escape from something else. I don't think it's an escape. I think what it is that if you've done something enough, you realize what your downfall. So for me, if I want to see three shows in one night, I can't have somebody with me because maybe they got a beer or maybe they don't want to leave. And I say, no, 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 I have to go to this other thing. The other night, I got to Rudyard's around nine. I talked to the guys from Brand New Hearts for like 30 minutes. Went upstairs, watched the opening act, thought, okay, I'll skip the middle act. I'll go to Satellite Bar to catch a little bit of Killer Hearts because I told Halston that I would go. Then I'll go catch the middle of Arthur Yoria, then I'll come back for Rudyard's. But what happened was I watched the first band, I left, I got over to Satellite Bar. Killer Hearts weren't even on stage the band before them was on, so I waited and waited and waited. Then they came on, I caught the first song, I left, I went to Mucky Duck. And then at Mucky Duck, I realized, oh, this is Arthur's last song. I miscalculated somehow. And by that point, there's no way to get back to Rudyard's. So you can't do that if you have somebody with you. Um, so I think it's just how I work. I, I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, anything else. I think it's just, that's what works best for me. No, that's totally fair. It's just like a doubt that I have. So I wanted to sort of hear what you, what you thought about it.